Well, in the 2004 Summer Olympics, Matthew Emmons was representing the U.S. in rifle shooting um, in Athens, Greece, and, and he won the gold in the 50-meter rifle prone, and he was competing in the 50-meter uh, rifle uh, three position, and he was expected to take the gold in that uh, competition. He had shot, had done great, and it was his final shot. And again, everyone expected that he was about to take the gold, but something happened that no one expected. Not even Matthew Emmons expected it. He was so focused on hitting the bullseye of the target that he actually aimed at the wrong target. Cross-fired, and he lost the gold, plummeted to eighth position, and, and lost the competition altogether. Now, Emmons never expected to go to the, to the Olympics and to lose by shooting at the wrong target. But I wonder today how many of us, if truth be told, are in the very same position in life. We're aiming, we're lining up, we're going to give it our all to make the shot. But in reality, it's the wrong target. We're shooting for something that that we really shouldn't be shooting at. We're aiming at something that really isn't what we ought to be aiming at. Well, the Lord Jesus is going to deal with this very idea in Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in verse 19. Uh, As we continue our journey through that, that we took a break from for a while, our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, these are the very issues that Jesus is going to front Uh, To confront, what is the target that that you're aiming at? Now, remember, at this point in time, when when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, there were crowds everywhere. I mean, this was the place to be. People were all gathered around, and and there there were just thousands of people following him. But he said, as he began to teach the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it means to be a true disciple. Because a lot of the people who were there, they were just sort of groupies. They were just sort of there to hang out and see what was going on. They weren't true, devoted disciples. And so Jesus said, if you want to know what it means to really follow me, take a look at this. This is what it is. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves Break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great then is the darkness." No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In this text, Jesus teaches that we are called to an undivided loyalty in following him. We're called to an undivided loyalty in following him. We see three ways to follow him with that kind of undivided loyalty. First, Pour your life into things that have eternal value. Pour your life into things that have eternal value. Look in verse 19. He says, don't put treasures for yourselves on the earth. Don't don't store up those treasures 
from the earth where moth and rust destroy. In this time period, a lot of the times the, the wealthy folks would have an, a really elegant wardrobe and they would have these boxes in which they would put their, their fine clothing so that moths couldn't access them. But here, Jesus is saying to the people, recognize that even if you have a lot and you have all kinds of nice things, ultimately... The end thereof is that a moth is going to destroy them. Something's going to come and eat them away. And, and then he says, where, where rust is going to destroy. And, and this word in the Greek doesn't just mean rust. It sort of has the idea of eat away at. And so if it's metal, of course, it would rust away. But, but also it, it carried the idea of, of a vermin or, or rats or something like that getting into grain and, and eating the grain away. Basically, what you have, what you think is, is your wealth and your possessions, all of that is subject to being destroyed. It's all subject to to decaying, to disappearing. And then he says, what moth and rust can't destroy, we think of the precious metals, gold and and such, they're not going to rust away. Well, what can happen to them? You can have all of this nice stuff, but in reality, a thief may break in and take it all away. What's Jesus trying to help us do? He's trying to help us see that if we pour our lives into the things of the earth, there's a good chance we're going to suffer great loss. There's a chance that we're going to, that we're going to miss what life is really about. That, that's what Jesus is trying to help us to see. And he says, instead, you ought to lay your treasures up in heaven. In other words, you ought to put your focus, what drives you, what centers your life, on the things that have eternal value. What kinds of things are those? Things like reading the Word. You want to know what's going to last for eternity? The Word of God is. Get into the Word. Take time every day to be in the Word. Oh, you're you're putting away money in eternity. No, No moth, no rust is going to get a hold of that. Spend time in prayer, talking to the Lord and conversing with Him. Oh, prayer has eternal consequence. Scripture's filled with examples. We're so busy doing this and that that we don't make time for the things that matter most, for the things that are eternal. And Jesus is warning us. There's a danger here. You're getting all of this, but you're missing all of that. The thing that matters most, the investment that will not fade away. What are some other ways we make eternal investments? When we tell people about Jesus, when we love people who who, who need who need encouragement and love in His name. All of those are ways that that we can make eternal investments. The list could go on and on. We understand the difference between earthly investments and eternal investments. And Jesus is saying, put your focus on the eternal. Put your focus there. Because then it's a secure investment. It'll go with you. It'll stick with you. And then in verse 21 we see a very sobering statement from the Lord Jesus. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What does this tell us? It tells us that what we pour our energy and our time and our life into here on earth, that's going to have a way of, of pulling our heart and reshaping our heart. So that if you love the things of the world, even things that are really good, and you pour your life and your energy and your time and your focus into those things, what Jesus is saying is, is that those things are going to pull your heart away, away from him. Our heart's going to be pulled heavenward or it's going to be pulled toward the earth, Jesus says. And if you put your energy, your time, and your focus 
into investing in things that are eternal, your heart will be drawn toward him. But if you pour your life into the things of the earth, even good things, well, your heart will be drawn to the things of the earth. An investment that is going to be exposed to decay. One that is not going to count in the end. Now, some would read a passage like this and say, so what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to own anything, not supposed to have anything. Well, we know that's not what Scripture teaches. If you look at the whole of Scripture, Scripture teaches that we can own possessions. For example, even the Eighth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 15, reminds us that it's okay to own things and the command not to steal. And all throughout Scripture, we see that it's all right to own things. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, believers are encouraged to provide for their family, to, to meet their family's needs. In Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, diligence and hard work and planning for the future is encouraged. So it's not wrong to, to put up money for the future or to, or to try to take care of your family. And not wrong to seek to be profitable in business. Those aren't bad things. Um, it's not wrong to, to uh, enjoy your money. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says that we should enjoy what God has given us, the blessings that God has given us. But here's the deal. When our when our desire begins to be dominated by earthly things, we've turned a corner, and it's not okay. When our desires are dominated by the things of, of the world, by the things of earth, even really good things, they can dominate our desires. They can, they can begin to control our hearts and our lives, and this is when it's not okay. You see here, Jesus presents two treasures, the earthly treasure and the eternal treasure. And he says to us, have undivided loyalty. Pursue the eternal treasure. Now remember when you were a teenager. Um, For some of us, that's longer than others. But one of the the areas uh, that's a challenge when you're a teenager is figuring out what's really important. Because sometimes what you're going to wear seems more important than the grades you're going to make. And sometimes who's talking to you and who invited you to this activity or that activity is more important to you than, than doing what's right or, or in pouring your life into to, to moving ahead academically or, or otherwise. And it's hard to figure out what really matters. And then you graduate from high school and you begin to go, why did I care? She didn't talk to me. I don't care. It's no big deal. What, what did this matter? What did that matter? And you kind of begin to get some perspective. That's one of the challenges of being a teenager, learning what really counts, what really matters. And we look at our own teenagers. I was in youth ministry for a lot of years, and I spent a lot of time trying to say to teenagers, hey, listen, that is not a big deal. This is a big deal. That's not. And parents of teenagers are always trying to help their teenagers understand what really matters and what really doesn't. But I am afraid, brothers and sisters, that we will come to the twilight of our days and we'll look back and we'll have been like a teenager and we'll look back and go, why did I, why didn't I make this a focus? It just didn't matter. It didn't matter. I I put my heart and my soul and my life into this. But in the twilight of our days, when the end is drawing near, will it matter? Will it matter? So where does your heart gravitate? What do you think about? What do you talk about? What do you spend money on? What do you 
of, of all things in these days, what do you take time and carve out time for? Because that's, that's the most valuable commodity today, isn't it? It's time. What do you pour your time into? Those are the things that reveal what's really happening in our hearts. It could be that, that we're pouring our time into fine activities, to, into hobbies or sports or, or work or other kinds of things that are good. But it could be that these things are lulling our hearts toward a certain coolness toward God. It could be that these things, if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, can become little gods to us. And we don't, we don't see it happening. It happens slowly. It's not like we, we bow down and we worship at our hobby or even at our job. It's just that our job takes over our heart. Our hobby takes over our heart. And it becomes clear what our love really is, what our passion really is. And these diversions, they keep us from devotion if we're not careful. They steal our focus, our heart, our time, our worship. So what thrills you? This passage teaches that what thrills you is going to reshape your heart. What thrills you will reshape your heart. Want to know where your heart's at? Then look for the money. Look for the time. Look for the passion. Because that's where your heart's at. So we ought to invest in things with eternal returns. Invest in things with eternal returns. Again, I mentioned many of these earlier. Spending time growing in the Lord, that has eternal return. Praying with your spouse. Husbands, pray with your spouse. Uh, Read the word with your spouse. That has eternal consequence. Get your kids and gather them around the table and teach them the Bible. Model for them what it means to really love Jesus. Not, we just go to church every now and then. We can kind of conveniently work it into our schedule. Not that kind of faith, but the kind of faith where every day you're gathering around the dinner table and you're saying, let's read the word together. Hey, yeah, this says that that we shouldn't be selfish. You know what? Dad is selfish sometimes in the way that I handle this or that, and I need to change. Kiddos, pray for me. And and fleshing out the word in our lives and striving to live it out by example. That's eternal. That has eternal consequence. Now, what a... What we do often with our families is we focus on the bajillion activities that you can do, and many of them are good. But brothers and sisters, when we're near the end of our days, are they really good? Are they that good? It's not that we can't do them. It's that they need to be in their place, and we need to make the things that are really good, that is eternal, count. We need to make them count. Sharing Jesus with a coworker, that's eternal. Teaching a class full of kiddos on Wednesday night who are crazy and screaming and hollering, but you're teaching them about Jesus, that's eternal. Yeah, that, that counts. Love, loving and encouraging someone who's struggling and who needs a word of encouragement and to, to, a word of encouraging them to continue on in the Christian walk, yeah, that, that's eternal. You see... The key is this, as you invest in these kinds of things, your heart follows. You want want that more. You You want Jesus more. You want things that are eternal more. But the more you invest in just other things, your heart begins to follow. That's that's the danger or the delight. So we've seen that we ought to invest in eternal things. Next, to have an un 
divided loyalty, you must carefully consider the direction of your life. Carefully consider the direction of your life. This is one of those kind of obscure, difficult passages. Verse 22. But here, Jesus says, The eye is a lamp to the body, and a good eye enables the body to respond uh, to its environment appropriately so that a person who has good eyes can see and interact with, with their environment. But a person who's blind, in a sense, walks in darkness physically. They, they, they can't see what's ahead. And so the spiritual implications are this, that if the eye is good, and again, the eye really is pointing back to the heart, but if the eye is good, then the whole body's full of light. So that if the eye is focused on God and single-minded and in a passion and a love for God, it sheds light on the whole, on the whole of the body. So we saw two treasures, a heavenly treasure and an earthly treasure. Here there's two visions, a a cloudy vision and a clear vision, or a bad eye and a good eye. So so the person who has an eye that's set on God and and loving him and following him, that that person's whole life will be shaped by that. But a person whose eye is sort of cloudy, well, he says here uh, in verse 22 That if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What's Jesus saying? He's saying some of the people who have a bad eye spiritually, who can't can't see, who don't have spiritual vision, who aren't focused on me, some of them think they have light in them. If the light in you is dark, then how great the darkness? In other words, there's a sense in which we've kind of been tricked by... We've kind of been tricked. We, We... have kind of become self-deluded. We think, hey, I've got light in me. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. I'm okay. I, I've got a heart for God. But in reality, the scripture is saying here, it's possible to be there and to think that, but it not be the case. So every one of us needs to carefully examine the direction of our lives. What is my passion? What is my eye fixed on? Is it knowing Jesus? Is it the Lord? Or is it all these other things? All these other diversions. So here, two visions, one cloudy and one crystal clear walking in the light. Now, nearly every one of us have, have been for an eye exam. You go there and you got to look at the little parachutes and they take that puff of air. It's annoying, isn't it? And they blow that in your eyes to check them. And of course, all the vision aspects of the test. But, but you go there. And you have your eyes checked because there's a possibility that something could be happening that could cause you to go blind. You, you, you need to have those tests in case something's going on so, so that your eyes can be uh, possibly saved, so that your vision can, can, uh, can be strengthened. And similarly, Jesus is saying here, it's time for a spiritual test. It's time for a little checkup. You need to look at the direction of your life. Is it that you think you're walking in the light? But in reality, you're not. That's an invitation for Jesus to get that right, to to get on the right path. So what kind of vision do you have spiritually? Is it cloudy or is it crystal clear? What have you fixed your eyes on? Is it knowing Jesus or is it something lesser? Ask God to help you see the condition of your heart. Ask him to help you see the stuff of this world's tricky and our sin and our, our own desires can be so tricky. We can easily be deceived thinking we're walking faithfully when really we're not. The gospel is ultimately the only antidote to spiritual blindness. 
The only way we can have our eyes truly opened is through Jesus. You see, the, the Bible teaches that every one of us is guilty of sin. And because of that, we have a spiritual blindness by, by birth in a sense. We are automatically sinful because of our human natures. And the only way to have our eyes open so that we can see Jesus and see the, uh, the world as it truly is, see reality from God's point of view, is to come to know Jesus. It's to turn from our sin and to believe in him, to recognize that he, that he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, so that we could be saved. And so the, the way that ultimately you can have your eyes open spiritually is you turn from your sin and you call out to him in faith and he saves you and he opens your eyes. And then you continue on walking with him. And so we see that we must consider the direction of our lives. But to have an undivided loyalty to Jesus, we also must serve him with single-mindedness. We must serve him with single-mindedness. In other words, this is a picture of drivenness. A picture of passion. So in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. He'll hate the one or he'll love the other. He'll be devoted to the one or he'll despise the other. What this teaches us is that we can't divide our allegiances up and say, well, I'm going to give this part to Jesus and then this part I'm going to give to, to this and that part I'm going to give to this. That's the way we want to live life often, but it's, it's not real. That, that's not a way that we get to live. Jesus says that. You've got to choose who your master's going to be. You can't belong to two masters. You're going to either be a slave to me and you're going to pour your life into knowing me and walking with me and following me or you're going to be dilly-dallying around with all of this other stuff and your commitment to me is not real. Now, these words may sound hard, but please see that I'm only faithfully preaching the text or I'm striving to do that. These are the words of Jesus. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. These are his words. It needs to make us think. Myself included. These are words that are meant to jar us, to wake us up. To help us have eyes that see and ears that hear. So here's what happens slowly. Money and possessions and, and things, good things. Well, they can become our gods. And we always need just a little something more. Well, if I can just get a little something more. And we get that, and that's never enough, and so we need a little bit more. And, and these things begin to demand our attention, our time, our allegiance, and slowly, not on purpose, our love for God just begins to drift away, and our heart follows after where we have placed our treasure. Brothers and sisters, God does not want us to be there. He wants us to know Him and to love them with all of our hearts. So some of you may say, so, so what, Pastor, you tell us we all need to quit our jobs and stand on the uh, street corner and preach and tell people about Jesus? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that we continue to live our lives like God has called us to. We continue to be faithful in our work, and we continue to be faithful to our families and to our neighbors and things like that. But instead of those things, those other things driving us, what drives us is a passion for the Lord. And it's such a strong drive that we make time to serve him. It's such a strong drive that we make time to, to, to be with him in the word and in prayer. That we make time in our family to put spiritual issues at the, at the center and not in the periphery. That, that, we, that we make church a, a core part of who we are instead of a, an every now and then when, when we can. 
That th- those are the things that I think we've got to wrestle with. We've got to wrestle with those things and think through them in our lives. Imagine that a member of the Spurs basketball team, they've had a, a, some rough weeks here lately, right, was rooting for the Warriors. Now, it would make no sense to us that a member of the Spurs basketball team would have been rooting for the Warriors. That would be crazy to us, and we would say, it cannot be. You can't do that. You can't play for the Spurs and root for the Warriors. That doesn't work. And yet, spiritually, we're trying to do that very thing all the time. We're trying to say, hey, I play for the Lord. I belong to Him. But then we're rooting for all these other things. We're going after all these other things. It makes no sense when you talk about it in terms of spurs and the cavaliers or, or the warriors. And it makes no sense when you talk about it with us as followers of Jesus. So be careful that materialism and greed isn't beginning to seek its roots into your heart. Is money the driving factor in your life? Is getting more, is getting the best? Oh, be weary. Be very, very careful. There's a good chance that you're serving the wrong master. So look for ways to give your life in service to God. Look for ways to be his slave, to be his servant. Mamas, teach your kiddos about Jesus. Daddies, lead your families in love and devotion to the Lord. You lead the way, Dad. You, you be the one who says, hey, let's, let's study the, the Bible together for a few minutes. It, you, you do that. Serve in the church. Teach kiddos. Visit the homebound. Help the poor in, in Christ's name. Disciple others. Help with, with meals and all the other countless ways that, that we can serve and minister to others that have eternal consequence. Those are the kinds of things we need to pour our lives into. Single men, take the time that, that you have, if you have extra time, and pour it into mentoring others or into serving others. Single, single ladies, do the same thing. Into, into caring and ministering to others. Are you just too busy to serve the master? Are you just too busy? I mean, you've got this and you've got that. Or is it just that you are serving your master and it's just a different master? There's a lot for us to think about here. Either you will love the one and despise the other or you'll be devoted to the one, Jesus says. So maybe it's time for us to pause for a moment and to look where we're aiming. To ask the question, am I aiming? at the right target. Maybe today the Lord's calling you to recalibrate, to make a change. Think of how God could use you. Think as you make the sacrifice of teaching a, a Sunday school class to elementary kids on a Sunday morning. And it is a sacrifice. You gotta find time to prep during the week. You gotta, you gotta be dedicated. You gotta be here on Sunday. You, you got to be here most of the time. So there's a sacrifice there. But imagine if your commitment 
influenced a little boy or a little girl to come to know Jesus. Wow. Think of the eternal value in that. Or if your work and service and teaching those little kiddos meant that one grew up and she became a missionary and served her life and served faithfully all the years of her life in a foreign people, taking the gospel to a people who never knew. Think of the eternal consequence. It could be that a tribe that's gathered around the throne at the end of time is there because of your faithfulness. Because God used your words when you were teaching third grade Sunday school to a little gal that you'd never know. The way that God would use her. And now a tribe or a people group that that had no access to Jesus will now one day be standing there on that glorious day. What an incredible thought. Or maybe the calling that God has placed in your heart and in your life is to minister to, to senior saints, to those who are homebound or who are in care facilities. And maybe you're caring for and ministering to one who has no family. And they're alone except for their church family and the care that their church family provides them. And maybe you forge a friendship and a connection with, with this gentleman. And you pray for him and you check on him and you love him. And it may be that you're the one who's there to hold his hand as he closes his eyes and goes to glory. Hallelujah! What beautiful ways God can use us when we start aiming at the right things instead of dilly-dallying around with the things that moth and rust destroy, the thieves can break in and steal. We've seen two treasures, an earthly treasure and a heavenly treasure. We've seen two visions, a good eye and a bad eye. And now we see two masters, the Lord Jesus and money or things of the world. Who are you serving Does your life evidence an undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus? Let's pray.